What is up, everybody? Welcome to a new edition of the Selby is Godcast. I am TJ Zuppi. He is Zach Meisel. You can find us on Twitter at TJ Zuppi, at Zach Meisel, at Selby is Godcast. What is up, Zach? Not a thing, man. We're only a few weeks away from spring training, I think. Well, th- that can't be true because the offseason just got started. <laughs> and legitimately just got started because now I'm actually seeing moves trickle in. And yeah, Michael Brantley is signed with two teams this week. <laughs> God, this is like the winter meetings all over again. I'm hearing conflicting reports and news of guys going everywhere, agents floating out rumors to probably drum up some interest in there. This is this is the stuff we see in November. Not right now. I'm so confused what the calendar actually is. But here we are, and spring training's right around the corner, and there's a lot of free agents that could potentially sign between now and then, and the Indians have some flexibility, so what the hell are they doing? <laughs> We're not going down that path again, man. (laughs) I know you're like a drug addict and it's addicting and you really want to just talk about ownership and payroll and Lindor and no, let's take a break. Let's have a healthy podcast. What is that? I don't even know what healthy is at this point. I was, the whole reason why I agreed to do this is because you, you said we were just going to talk Jackie Bradley Jr. for an hour and I was prepared to do that. I have notes. Are you telling me I have to put these away and not discuss it now? I don't care about the Astros' potential interests. I don't care about any other team that has a center field pull. No, I want to talk about Jackie Bradley Jr. and why it makes sense for the Indians and why it's never going to happen because we know reality exists and all of those things. Okay, I'll put why it to the side for now. transfer that excitement to, like, Bobby Bradley? <laughs> Can you just slap a junior on there? Just Or Bradley Zimmer. <laughs> How many Bradleys does it take to get really excited about spring training? Or Uh, Milton Bradley, who could be your random Indian of the day? uh, We'll get there. I mean, that is your stick in it, after all. It's going to be like uh, like the way the NBA season worked, because they had the long layoff and then the bubble, and then they had the draft, like, it seemed like four hours before their training camp started. Like, that's basically (laughs) how this is going to go. The difference is NBA had to adjust their schedule. MLB's on basically the normal schedule um, but you're going to have like major free agents signing and then reporting to spring training a day later that's just uh it's the way it works these days i suppose yeah i guess i was anticipating it to an extent but you'd like to say you're not surprised by things that happen but i'll still find myself surprised even by things i tell myself not to be surprised by we're almost there which means you can actually look at a roster and maybe start start to assess what it's going to be we've done that for the past couple of episodes you've written about what the the roster projection looks like and i'll tell you for a team that i still believe is uh, a quote-unquote winning team and can continue this streak under terry francona of not having a losing season Ugh. they went 81 and 80 in 2015 and they it was like a miserable slog they didn't have a losing season is that factually correct it's factually correct. All right, thank you. So while while I think that doesn't that that make it, but but that doesn't make it justifiable. It's like hey, if you. Hey, it, well, I think that streak could continue. But what I was going to say is, it's not looking like it's a sexy roster right now. Then that you would look at and say, well, there's there's absolutely a chance that this team could rip off 92 wins based on what I'm seeing right here. No, it looks like the upper end of that is 86, 87, maybe. I, we, who knows? I think we're not really going to know what this team's ceiling and floor is, honestly, until they're in spring training and we understand who is competing for what 
and who is likely to make the roster when. And but hold on, I, let me go back to something for a second because I I see certain writers use this all the time where it's like they've had eight straight winning seasons. What more do you want? And it's like okay, rewind the clock back to January 2016. Was anybody saying hey they've had three straight winning seasons? They've been awesome. No. They didn't make the playoffs in 2014 and 2015. Both of those years, like 2014, they were treading water forever and then won a few games in late September to make it semi-interesting until they had a weird doubleheader against the Royals and like J.B. Shuck was starting in center field for some reason and I think Chris Jimenez was starting in the infield. Um, that went down the toilet pretty quickly. And then 2015, they were terrible and then they traded all their veterans in the middle of the season, played the young guys... Lindor came up. They had a nice little run in the second half to get to 81 and 80, okay? Like, that's why I, I don't like the using that as propaganda. Have they been a successful team under Terry Francona? Absolutely. I think would everyone in Cleveland have liked to see them perform a little better in October the last four years? Yes. Um, but I don't think we need to lump in 2014 and 2015 as, like, this juggernaut that's been since Terry Francona took over. So anyway, off my soapbox. Um, yeah, so you're this, this is, roster. In the fourth uh, <laughs> year of the Nick Swisher, Michael Bourne signings, they made the World Series. Seems pretty successful to me. <laughs> exactly. But I told you in 2013 that that was going to be the end result, that you would have been That's pretty true. happy. It's all about setting the expectations. They certainly have been raised in recent seasons. We're seeing that with a certain football team here in town that – we're all super excited about what happened this year, but that nice job you... predicting the final score. Thank you, by the way. By the way. Uh, you have a lot of fun having a season like this, but it means you come back next year with more reasonable expectations for what a roster and team should look like and should do in their natural progression. And as we've talked about before, it's not always uh, a linear progression. Sometimes your best shot is that first shot, but it raises the bar. The Indians have raised the bar. It's not about just being a winning team. It would, you know, this would look a lot different if on paper you were told that this team is going to win 85, 86 games, and this is after maybe a stretch like the Orioles or the Tigers are going through or the Royals, then you would be excited because you'd say, well, there's young guys on this team and they have good pitching, and okay, well, that's not where the Indians have been. The Indians have been setting the bar as we're going to perennial, perennially contend, try to make the playoffs, try to reach the World Series, have done that, have come in as the best team in the American League in recent years. So, no, 85, 86 wins as being the upper echelon of what you think you could be. No, that's not exciting. It, I don't expect fans to be excited. And while in many podcasts in years past, we would have come on and maybe tried to write the, the, the expectations a bit, maybe set things more in a, a realm of reality as we like to do. Finding that middle ground, I am not trying to come on here and tell anybody why they should be super excited at this point in time. That's not my job, and that's certainly not what I'm trying to do right now. I don't think that's what you're trying to do right now. Yeah, I think it goes back to what we always do on this podcast, which is compartmentalize and realize that it's not black and white. And that, like me personally, I'm really intrigued to see what Josh Naylor can do and what Daniel Johnson can do and if Oscar Mercado can rebound. And if there's any reason to keep Jake Bowers around and Bradley Zimmer around, like the last, not so much 2020 because it was such a weird year, but like 2018 and 2019, it was basically just like keep hitting snooze from April until September and then wake me up in time for the playoffs to see if they win anything. And so while it's, if you're a fan, it's obviously great to follow a team that wins. If you're 
a reporter, it's certainly preferable to cover a team that's winning. But it should be interesting this year to actually watch guys who have to do everything they can to succeed every single day in February and March and April and May because their jobs aren't promised and we don't really know what this team is going to look like. So it's a nice change of pace, um, but I, like you said, I mean, it's weird. I think in a normal cycle, like I think about the Tigers and how they were kind of the titans of the American League for a while, even though they never won a title. Um, they had the big payroll. They had the star power. They kept making trades and free agent signings to try to try to get over the hump. And so fans are invested. They're frustrated because it's not working, um, and they just want that title so badly. And then they ripped the Band-Aid off, and they got rid of everybody they could, except Miguel Cabrera, because he's going to be getting paid $30 million when he's 65 years old. Um, but like the way to do it in a normal town, I think, is, is ripping the Band-Aid off, because then you reset those expectations immediately. And then Detroit fans have known this is going to be long, it's going to be painful. But now I think there's some excitement in Detroit, where they know they have a bunch of young pitchers coming up. And... In a couple years, they'll maybe be ready to, to contend for a playoff spot. It's weird in Cleveland. They, as we've talked about, they don't want to do the ripping the Band-Aid off and, and getting rid of everybody. And they don't want to do it like the Tigers did, which is a year or maybe two too, right. too late. And that's yeah. going to make the, that prolongs this this rebuild for, for Detroit well, fans. Well, and, and if they wouldn't have traded Bauer and Clevenger and Kluber when they did, they would have been ripping that Band-Aid off right now when they traded Francisco Lindor. Instead, they're doing this, you know, as we talked about, this talent churn where you're always trying to get younger and cheaper and trying to sustain this thing. And it, does, it doesn't really jive well with this fan base, though, or, or most fan bases, because your expectations were high because you've been win- I mean, you won, you won 35 and 25. You were in the playoffs last season. And, like, your team was really young. So it's counterintuitive to then trade your best maybe your best player and not make additions to this roster and still have the messaging that, Oh, our top priority is winning. Like it doesn't really make sense. Like we understand what they're trying to do. They're retooling here and 2021 is going to be a year of trial and error and growing pains and development, but they're not going to say that. And so do you it, think they would benefit from admitting that I think they would benefit, you know, Chris Antonetti, the last time he spoke to the media used, transition and i think even may have said retool at one point um but also with the caveat that like they're still their primary goal in 2021 is to contend i think they might benefit a little more i I mean i think that's why it's up to the media honestly like this is the job of reporters is you can't just take what front office people i've been preaching this for 10 years like i'm not my audience our readers and our listeners are not stupid and they understand, like, if we just repeat everything that Dolan and Antonetti and Chernoff and even Tito say every day and don't, like, investigate it and think about it or ask follow-up questions, then we're, what is our, what's the point of our job? We're just PR. And we're just, like, that, that you're not informing the fans. So while the Indians can say, oh, like, we want to contend in 2021, that's our primary goal. Well, look at their actions. <laughs> that doesn't reflect that. They're clearly... This is a year to learn about all these youngish players that they have. And so you have to just like be that filter and that liaison and send the right message to the fan base so that they're not setting the wrong expectations. And you have to say, like I've written, it's like 
And I said this on the last podcast. Look, like the front office can say, oh, our plan is to contend. Well, guess what? If you go 78 and 84, then we need to point out that you fell short of the expectations you laid out for yourself. Um, but I think it's also important to have realistic expectations for the fans because like, at some point you need fans in the, in the seats, right? I don't know when that's going to be. I don't know how many people are going to be allowed in. But you yeah. have to have your messaging right because this is a fan base that's pissed off right now, and rightfully so. And yeah, agreed. And, in, and you, know, you know what could help that? The fan, fans, I don't want to put words in everybody's mouth or thoughts in their own head, but what, what do fans like to see? They like to see young players come up and guys that they can follow for a few years, maybe guys that you weren't expecting. You want to see like a, a youth movement. If you're going to commit to that, the guys have to go out there and produce. And when they do... Like Mike Freeman and Domingo Santana. <laughs> and when they do produce, or if they do produce, um, it becomes really easy to win some people over and get people excited. But it's it's now on the, these young players that you brought in. If you're going to give them this opportunity... Well, the other part of that is they have to perform, and if they don't, then you haven't done your job as a front office. Now, we we have talked endlessly about what the ownership puts on this front office. We know that there are so many more hurdles that they have to clear than other teams do, Um, and we try to hold them to that standard and, and try to take that into account when we evaluate the front office. But this is the avenue that they're going. This is this is what they signed up for. So now they have to be. Equally as good at finding young talent as they have been in years past, and we've praised them when they find that diamond in the rough, or they are able to develop pitching like nobody's business. And we spent entire podcasts talking about that. But you know, getting these young players, giving them an opportunity, and actually seeing them perform could be a way to actually get some people won back. So, as as we've said before, and you laid out so eloquently last podcast, if they're going to go with that direction, then commit to it. Don't go in between. Don't sign you know, one guy and then block another guy with some minor league invite and then commit 400 at-bats to him. Either go with youth or spend some of this money, but don't take this middle ground. We, we yell about it in, in our hardball dynasty teams. It's like, go, go one way or another. We talk about it with players. <laughs> you don't want to be just dipping your toe slightly in the water. Either commit to one area or another. And then just just go with that, and then let that be the plan, and then people can can assess what that plan is. But when you're you're pulling everybody in different directions, whether it's going to go with youth, we're going to go with a few veterans here and there, then I don't exactly know what the plan is. It's like you are trying to do this weird middle thing that I don't think is is going to work very well. So we agree. I mean, they should have given Daniel Johnson more of an opportunity last year. Oh yeah, um, yeah, absolutely. I- and, and, and there it, are other it, guys too. It scares me a bit that they they think so little of him that they didn't give him a chance when their outfield wasn't producing. What, what are they seeing that we're not? Why is he not getting that mm-hmm. opportunity? Is it just because they're whiffing on a guy that actually is talented and should be playing? Or is he not as good as perhaps we've made him out to be? That, that well, could be alarming on either one of those, yeah, those outcomes. I, I mean, I asked Chris Antonetti about that because it seemed like, I, mean, I think we all saw enough of Domingo Santana pretty early on and none of us needed to see Mike Freeman getting at bats in left field. And we saw more than Delano to shields than we wanted to, I think. Um, so I, I did ask Antonetti at some point and I just said like, do you wish you would have learned more about some of these guys? Cause it seems like it's a pretty important year for a lot of guys who like have proven everything they can prove in the minors. And it's, it's time for an opportunity. And now you're running into a situation where it's like, okay, Naylor needs to start somewhere. And Framo Reyes needs to start somewhere. Jake Bowers is out of options. Bobby Bradley has spent like 
two and a half years at AAA or the alternate site. Um, Daniel Johnson has nothing left to prove in the minor. So you need all of these guys at once. You got to learn about them. And some of them are going to prosper and some of them are going to flop. That's how it always works. So the problem is that you're going to learn about all of this at the same time. And you have to have a decently long leash with these guys. Like if Daniel Johnson doesn't hit in the first three weeks, you can't just pull the plug on the experiment. So it's a tricky situation, especially when they say that they're going to spend some of the savings. Well, where, like we said, it's like, where are you going to add? Because if you add a corner outfielder and I can't learn about Daniel Johnson in 2021, and I probably should have learned about him in 2020, how long are you going to delay this? So it's, it's a weird setup. And it's like you said, it's like, you got to pick one lane or the other. And I know you want to always thread the needle, but sometimes you can't just sit on the fence. Um, and we saw that last year because it, it hurts your future. And we saw it, I mean, in 2018 and 2019, when you don't fix the outfield, you don't fix certain holes that you have, like in the bullpen that one year when, here we go, ding, 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 Alexia Gondo is pitching the freaking ninth inning at Yankee Stadium. Um, you need, you didn't address those things. And so then you trade Lindor in 2020 and it's like, well, we probably should have capitalized on his presence a little more in the last couple of years. So it's, it's what your actions now affect the future. I think that's the most difficult part about this threading the needle where you're trying to contend, you're trying to stockpile assets for the future. So at some point, you're going to have to have a year where you just let things play out. I think that has to be this year. I think you need to get answers on all these guys, even if it's detrimental to your bottom line, which is your record. Look, the White Sox are going to be really good. The Twins are still going to be good. I don't know that there's any like one or two moves you can make that's going to, I mean, and I say, I have to like, I have to step back and say anything can happen. There's so much youth on this team that it's possible all these guys are great and they win 90 games. Who knows? But odds are you're probably going to be the third best team in this division. So you need to just take a step back and like let things play out. And if you can't have fans in the stands for part of the year and, you know, the everyone is just counting down the days until training camp in July, then maybe it's not the worst thing in the world to just kind of have a year where you just, you know, you chalk it up to a loss, but it's it's beneficial for your future. Well, the, well, and maybe if, if things go well, you can be a contender in 2022 and spend the money then. And, and you'll know, you'll have a firmer grasp on what you need. The one thing that I... I feel pretty strongly about is they're not going to be bad. They, they have too good of pitching provided everybody stays relatively healthy. They're not going to be a bad team. It's just a question of, are they going to be better than, you know, around a 500 team. But when you have that sort of pitching, if, if you're that concerned about as a franchise, we can't be a, a team that wins 64 games. We, we can't be that. Uh, okay. If, if, if that's the, the standard you're holding yourself to, you can't ever be that bad on purpose. But you you have this really strong pitching that is at least going to keep you in games pretty much every single day. If it, if they do everything that we th- we think they can, and if they even maybe more, make more of a development step with a few a few more of these guys, so that's what this team is going to be. Probably a lot of low scoring games. It does lend itself to if you're going to play some youth and see what you have offensively. I tell you, there's been some stretches where they might as well just been playing a bunch of AAA guys for as poor as they as they played. So this might actually be a pretty good situation where you're not going to ever be truly bad because you're going to have a lot of these low-scoring games that one swing of the bat could decide to, to lift you to a victory. 
this might actually be the perfect situation because you can get away with playing a lot of maybe even bad offensive players, but because your pitching is so good, because you can play those low-scoring games, you're still going to be able to win a number of those games because they're just going to be close, and the pitching is going to keep you in it a lot of the time. Yeah, I think it's important to remember that there will be growing pains in the pitching staff too. Um, and while I think that the pitching staff has loads of potential, and it's incredibly young, I think Zach Plesak turns 26 today as we're recording this, and he's like the old man of the group. Um, but like, look, Shane Bieber might be the best pitcher in baseball. I don't know that he's going to post a 163 ERA with 14 strikeouts per nine innings. Oh, and, he of little faith. I mean, I, like he might, maybe his ERA for a full season would be like 220. Is that fair? I mean, <laughs> yeah. I, like, it's possible Plesak takes a, like, he could be better in 2021 than 2020, but his numbers might not be quite as good as they were in 2020. He was dynamite in his eight starts, but it, things happen over a full season. Like, Savali could be better than he was last year. And maybe, you know, Tristan McKenzie or Cal Quantrill have some growing pains because they don't have a ton of experience in the starting rotation. Like, that stuff's going to happen. It's, it's a young group. And I think we need to remember that because I think there are two, two things I've heard. The one thing is I've heard people say, like, this is definitely a 105-loss team. And it's like, come on, you're not paying attention if that's the case. Um, but the other thing is like, oh, well, like, the pitching should carry them to at least 90 wins. And it's like, pump the brakes a little bit. Like, it's... It's a really good pitching staff, but it, it, it's a lot of it is unproven. I mean, Bieber is your guy with the most experience, and he's got one full season, one partial season, and a 60-game season. Like, that's he still has things that he thinks he can get better at and that he can learn. So, And then the bullpen, too. I mean, that's Karinchek is like, well, I guess Wickren is the one veteran stabilizing force, but like other than that, it's like Karinchek, who has 30 appearances in his career. I mean, there's, there's room... It's why we've said that it's like it's really hard to pinpoint where this team will end up, and it's probably just easy and convenient to say, oh, maybe around 500, because like <laughs> there are so many players on this roster who could have breakout years and take a huge step forward, or could just get roughed up. Like we saw it. Remember with this rotation, I don't know, 2014, 2015, maybe, but I mean, we thought the rotation was just as good as it gets. Danny Salazar looked like the second coming. Carlos Carrasco was starting to figure it out. And who do they have at that point? Do they still have Masterson? <laughs> and like, yeah, into and, 2014. Yeah, and like Masterson struggled. Salazar, I remember, bounced back and forth between Columbus pretty much for an entire season. You were using like TJ House. Like, shit happens. Guys, guys were have some regression. They have growing pains. So you just need to be prepared for it because I think it's. I really think it's going to be a year of just like sporadic play where guys get, hitters get really hot for two weeks and then really cold for two weeks and pitchers look like a Cy Young winner in one start and then can't get out of the third inning in another. It's, it's, I think a lot of that stuff's going to happen. But they're setting the expectations that they're going to compete because that's what they said. So if that's what you're setting your bar to be, you could use fancy words and, and try to spin it by saying retooling or whatever the case may be. You're still saying you intend to compete. So that's the bar that you've set for, this, for yourself. So it's a weird dynamic where if you were to take this team and drop them into a different city, maybe I shouldn't phrase it that way, but just for the purposes of this exercise do that can you can you be specific there what do you mean by a different city like nashville or <laughs> montreal um 
Vegas if, would be cool. If you t- if you take, do you go with the team? Are you part of the package deal? If uh, if, if it's, it's Vegas, Vegas or Maui, yeah. you bet your ass. <laughs> so if you did that and you put them in a city where there's no expectations, and you 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 do have this pitching staff, you have these young players, and on top of that, the thing that you can't sell tickets. Well, I guess you can. Speaking of the minor leagues, but you can't sell tickets for having a really good minor league system. But this is a minor league system that you should, as an Indians fan, be super excited about. And it's not just you and me and maybe a publication or two talking about this. There are teams in Major League Baseball that are salivating over what the Indians have built in their minor league system. And maybe you can speak more to that, but you should be excited about the, the young talent that they've they've put together. That doesn't mean that they're going to someday be a 105-win team again and they're going to be the next Dodgers. That's the, no, that's not what I'm saying. But I am saying that it's okay to be excited about that group. But because of where this team has been, because of the bar they've set for themselves, it, you don't think about it like uh, if you were to take this team and, and take everything that happened in the past, wipe that slate clean, and just look at what the organization is now. You don't have any commitments beyond this year really you have a really literally none you you have a if a, a, a core that is full of some young players that you're interested to see what they are but they're not too far removed from having the pedigree of being top 100 prospects it's not like you whiffed on so they've whiffed on so many players that none of these guys are talented at all uh you have a minor league system that is a lot of people evaluate as being in the top third of baseball, if not better. Now, yeah, a lot of those players are young, and a lot can happen between then and the minor in, in the major leagues. But still, a lot of young, fun talent. You've got this pitching pipeline. You've got a uh, a team that that really has a lot going for it. But it's really hard to feel a lot of those positives because of everything that has happened leading up to this point, and because you know there are there are hurdles like ownership not knowing whether or not you're even going to be able to keep young players that you do develop, and then. Some of that, too, comes down to guys that you've let go um, that have gone and had success other places because they didn't get that opportunity here. And it kind of speaks to what you're talking about of just seeing everything that you have and letting that lead you into 2022. But you also have the part that I haven't even mentioned. You have a guy that is perennially in the top third of MVP outside of this weird stretch where he just forgot how to hit in Jose Ramirez. Uh, Maybe could have been the MVP last year. And you do have... Perhaps the best pitcher on the planet, at least in terms of age, growth, ceiling, and where he's at right now in Shane Bieber. So it's like, wow, you could look at those things and say, this is some really positive energy to to grab onto and really enjoy as a fan. But there are just so many things in the way, and some of them are just self-inflicted wounds on the organization's part that make it really difficult to focus on that. Yeah, I think that's a good way to put it, is that... You have the building blocks, like if this was a traditional rebuild, if if twenty third well, if twenty sixteen to twenty twenty just didn't exist, and this team had been building and building and was at a point now where you have Ramirez and Beaver and young pitching staff and some major league ready hitters and this farm system, which I mean you're it's no joke. Look, look I've never seen like Brian Rocchio play in Arizona or the Dominican Republic, but by all accounts, this kid is going to be a top 100 prospect at some point pretty soon. Uh, same thing with like George Valera and a bunch of other guys. Anyway, like that's what would get the fan base would be excited. And I think it would be easier to wrap your head around it and kind of embrace the situation. But because 
of how the last few years played out and how it felt like the team, I mean, look, no one expected the team to make the World Series in 2016 and they almost won it. And in 2017, they absolutely went for it. They signed Edwin, they traded for Jay Bruce when Brantley went down and it didn't happen. And then there was no more like big push after that. Like they didn't really add anything. It was just little by little subtraction here, subtraction there, and just hope that it works in October. And so I think it left fans unfulfilled. And because of that, I think for a lot of people, it's, it's difficult or not worth the time and energy to be invested in the fact that the team is set up well for a few years from now. So I get that. Um, I don't think anyone can be blamed for feeling that way. We certainly aren't going to tell fans how to feel on this podcast. At the same time, you do look at the young talent in the organization, and it's a critical year because, as we've talked about, they have four bajillion middle infielders who are well-regarded. A lot of them are young, can't even drink yet. Some of them can't even buy a lottery ticket yet. Um, but Or they could win that four bajillion dollars. Yeah. So this is the year, though, where, like, Rokio, Aaron Bracho, and... I don't know, Gabriel Rodriguez, and I mean, even guys who are a little older, like Tyler Freeman, it's an important year where if he has a really good year at double A, and maybe he gets bumped up to triple A at some point, then he's firmly on the radar as like, this is our second baseman of 2022 to 2028. Like, I think Gabriel Arias can make a similar um, jump this year. It's the year where if things go the way the Indians are hoping they go, this farm system moves from like, I think a lot of publications had them where like 10th to 12th last year. Does that sound about right? To top three, top four, top five. Um, I mean, it, it's, there's a lot of talent. And again, as is always the case, some of these prospects will turn out to be good players. Some of them won't ever see Columbus, um, but they have so many, they've stockpiled so many. Yeah. And the other thing is, it gives you trade ammunition, you know. It's hard to trade an 18-year-old middle infield prospect who's got 50 at-bats in the rookie league for something legitimate. But if he's got another year or two of experience and scouts have seen him more and you've got video and you've got data, all of a sudden you have more trade value. And that's, you know, people ask, like, why do you have all these infielders? They signed 15 players on the first day of the international signing period last week, and eight of them were shortstops. Part of that is that in a lot of those Latin American countries, shortstop is like the position where if you want to have a chance, you probably, that's your first choice. But also, they believe if they have enough shortstops, I mean, they've struggled, they know they've struggled to develop outfielders. They've struggled to develop like the power hitting first baseman type. But if you have enough shortstops, and say of the 30 shortstops you have, like six prove that they can hit at the major league level, then you can move one guy to third, one guy to second, one guy to center, one guy to left. You can trade one guy for a first baseman. I mean, there it gives you some flexibility. So it, it's they are set up well for the future. I just I understand if anyone is reluctant to get invested because of how they've operated at the major league level the last few years. So where are you spending the money? 
come on, it's it's a continuation of the last podcast. Where are you spending the money? You're not going to block these young guys. You're going to spend ten to fifteen million dollars if you believe Chris Antonetti. I don't know. He never gave us an exact number, but he said some portion of the savings created by dealing Carrasco and Lindor. So where's the money going to get spent that you don't block these young guys? Well, probably not in free agency unless it's like a reliever. I think I can get the most out of or. Yeah. I really don't know that there's an infielder or an outfielder out there. Like, okay, if they want to have a reunion with Cesar Hernandez for a year, like, fine. But then are you just going to cost Andres Jimenez at bats? Like, that doesn't make much sense. Yeah. No, it doesn't. Um, and so I, and yeah, I, think, like, I think you need to find out about Rosario because not too long ago was this mm-hmm. guy a top 100 prospect himself. Top uh, five. Yeah, yeah, right, exactly. Um, depending on which publication and which person and individual you talk to. I mean, there are still people that are saying that he was the most important player that the Indians acquired um, in that deal because he's still only 25 years old. And no, he's not Francisco Lindor, but, you know, just two sh- very short years ago, he was a, a well above average player. Um, and when you have a guy that's athletic and can play a lot of different places and you're starting in the middle infield and was a league average bat. Um, you know, I'm throwing out 2020 because it's just a weird year for everybody. Are you just going to what? Put him into a super sub role? Is he just a platoon bat? No, I want to see this guy play. So is he is playing him at second base or maybe him at shortstop until you bring up Jimenez? Uh, is is that that much worse than just signing Cesar Hernandez? I'm not really sure that it is. I would rather just play Rosario. And, mm-hmm. okay, so maybe you lose... Maybe you go from a 100 WRC plus to a 90. Okay, but now I know about Rosario. I know if he's part of the future. I know if he's someone that I have to tender a contract to next year or if he's someone that I say, thanks for the memories, bye-bye. I don't know. I just don't I don't think you gain that much from signing an infielder compared to just playing some of these guys that you've traded for. I mean, We know. You want Jackie Bradley Jr. We know. Beyond Major center field, point. I just don't know where – I don't know – and, well, and the, even even center field, I mean, you have Mercado, you have Bradley Zimmer, two guys that you want to see more from. I, I get that. Zimmer himself, not too far removed from having the, the shine of being a top prospect. The swings still look, even last year through the reworking, and maybe it's going to take longer than just one year, still looks like a really huge work in progress. Uh, so he's up against the two. So I, I get that. You could just play those guys in center field and, and go with it. So maybe you're spending in the bullpen because you want to try to limit runs as best you can, and your best chance to try to win this year is still keeping runs off the scoreboard as opposed to putting them on there yourself. Yeah, I mean, they don't have a lefty reliever, and most of their righty relievers lack experience. So the thing is, though, as we've said, don't just spend money to spend money. Um, oh, screw that. Almost... Spend money to spend money. But just yeah, spend but it wisely. You don't have to spend it via free agency, though. You can acquire someone in a trade. I think that's always overlooked. And I'm not saying go necessarily go trade for Josh Hader and give the Brewers all your all those 19-year-old shortstops we were just gushing about. But like, there are people out there who maybe are first-year arb, making a few million bucks that you could trade for. Um, I just like it's. Don't block Daniel Johnson with some 33-year-old outfielder whose best season was in 2014. Like, we've seen enough of that. Um, so, I, yeah, I, again, like, I, I know it's, it's not necessarily what fans want to hear, but I think you need to just treat this year as a retool and, and as a year where you're trying to learn as much as you can about your internal candidates because then you will be better situated to add next year. 
And I think you're going to see a lot. I mean, they're going to have a lot of 40-man roster decisions this winter, like 10 months from now, where, and it really hurt them that you didn't have a minor league season last year, but they're going to have to add a lot of guys to the 40-man. And so I think you're going to see a bunch of trades. Um, and, I mean, it's, this is, it's why it's so critical that some of these young players take steps forward so that they can learn whether or not these people are worth spending a 40-man roster spot on. Could I give a shout-out to Freely IP? No, really, that's the name he left for us, leaving us a five-star review over at Apple Podcasts. Uh, they're a few weeks late on this, but that's okay. We still give out the shout out, and if you yeah, leave I mean, us a five star, it is a little TMI. <laughs> I said freely IP. Um, you know, maybe it's just his uh, his internet address. I don't know, uh, but he says uh, Cleveland Oranges would be his name for the baseball team in Cleveland. The logo, a brown baseball helmet, and he says great podcast, guys. But if you leave us a five star review, leave us a, a little rating, a little review. We will be sure to give you a shout out on a future episode and be sure to stream us at uh, Apple Podcasts, Google, Stitcher, Spotify, really anywhere you, you listen to a podcast. You can find us uh, places we didn't even know we exist. I find them all the time. <laughs> like, how do they get a hold of our podcast? And why is that streaming here? Oh, well, it's just more places for you to find us. And that's how we're so big in Great Britain, right? Uh, Australia, Great Britain, for sure. Uh, Denmark, maybe? I, I don't know. Um, so. Also, want to thank everybody that just recommends us to your friends. Sometimes that's the, the best way to grow the podcast is to just say, hey, did you catch uh, the Selby Has Got cast? And make your friends listen. And if you don't have friends, recommend us to your cat. Hey, as long as he clicks play, it doesn't really generate whether it's a cat or a human, I don't think. So whatever. Whatever you got to do. You got a random inning of the day for me? I do. You're not going to get it, though. Okay, I give up. Who is it? Well, his middle name is Michael. Uh, Josh Bard. No. Uh, his birthday was earlier this week. He turned 51. Born in McKeesport, Pennsylvania. Drafted by the Orioles in the 23rd round in 1991. Out of Cal University of Pennsylvania in California, Pennsylvania. I don't know. Really? Continue. I, know, I thought that would have given it away. Uh, in his four-year major league career, he had a 557 ERA. Uh, these numbers are not pretty. 258 innings, 297 hits, 165 strikeouts. Uh, so that strikeout-to-walk ratio is 1.4 to 1. Um, pitched for the Indians in 98, the forgotten season. No. Jason Hockamy. Uh 1998, which if you have not listened to our review of Indians-Yankees ALCS, Game two and the craziness that ensued at Yankee Stadium. I think we released that what right around I think Christmas. Jamie Brewington. Uh, no, he was two thousand. Um, anyway, nineteen ninety eight. This guy made eleven appearances, twenty five innings. He was like your fun little multi inning guy, I guess, who also made one start, finished five games. Didn't sound fun based on his numbers, but oh, go ahead. Uh, well, how about with Cleveland though? A three twenty four ERA. Well, why didn't they lock this guy up long term or trade Brian well, Giles? I'll tell for you. Him? I'll tell you why. Because he was pretty fortunate. Because in 25 innings, he gave up 24 hits, and had 16 walks and only 10 strikeouts. So that WHIP is pretty ugly. That FIP is pretty ugly. But he did go 2 and 0. Oh well, there's that. Uh, I I don't know. I might have exhausted already. My your we're, brain. We're still a year away from Justin Spire. <laughs> 
He pitched for Baltimore and Cincinnati as well. Cincinnati. It's not David Weathers. It's... No, so they the Indians selected him off waivers in March of 98 from the Orioles. And then in June of that year, they traded him to the Reds for Eddie Priest and Christian Rojas, who I have never heard of either of these. That's a, that was a pretty big trade in Indians. Might have to uh, do an oral history of Yeah, I, I don't know. Did you say whether he threw righty or lefty? Um, He threw... Whoa. He threw lefty, batted righty. Oh, no. And he had four plate appearances in his career with the Reds. Struck out in three of them. OPS plus of minus 100. <laughs> Man, he would have fit right into the Indians outfield. Uh, I don't, you don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I believe... should, should I know this or should I not? Should no, I, I mean, feel bad about this or, or no? No. My only other thing I know about this, and if he's listening or his family members are listening, I apologize. I heard once that he was a jerk. That is the only thing I know about him, because I don't remember him <laughs> pitching for Cleveland whatsoever. Um, but that 98 year was his last year in the majors. He was 28 years old, and he would pitch in the minors for a few teams for three more years, and then that was it. Do you give up? Yeah, I mean, I give up. Is this a case where I'm going to have to cut this out later, like one of the past ex-Indians of the day where I had to edit it out because of a fake story that you told that was not fake. <laughs> that was not fake. It was just a little too real, I think, was the problem. <laughs> Um, what's very weird about this is it says he throws left, but I swear the picture on baseball reference, he's like peering into his catcher for the sign. And I swear, I swear he's, he's doing it as a righty. Yeah. Uh, anyway, his name is Rick Krivda. Of course. Actually, that name does sound familiar. Uh, war number 30, 11 appearances for Cleveland in 98. And was like, I mean, his numbers were fine, but he was pretty bad. Yeah, I have, I have memory of the name. I don't remember him pitching, but uh, this is not a case where I have to actually go look it up myself because I don't believe he actually existed. I remember something, unless this is the Mandela effect and he never really existed, and this is all just a figment of my imagination. You can subscribe, Apple Podcasts, Google Stitcher, Spotify. You can find us on Twitter at TJZoopy, at Zach Meisel, at Selby is Goncast. Again, leave us a five-star review. We'll give you a shout-out. Appreciate that. And I'll owe you a beer. Yes. That you have cashed in on so many thus far. I mean, you really lucked out by saying, find me outside and leave us a five-star review, and I will buy you a beer. And then all of the bars closed, and we all went into lockdown. Good job on your part. Hey, I was at the ballpark last year, and I was waiting every day. No one came up to me. <laughs> Way to rub that one. Till next time, we're out of here. Have a good one, everybody. See ya. The Selby is Godcast, featuring Zach Meisel and TJ Zuppi, is presented by our supporters at Anchor. To help support the podcast, visit anchor.fm slash Godcast. You can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you like what you hear, we sure hope you do, be sure to leave us a five-star review. And if you have suggestions, drop us a DM on Twitter at Godcast. Thanks for listening.